Welcome to the new podcast, History, Politics, and Beer, where we examine contemporary issues through the lens of history. We are solving the world's problems one podcast at a time. Now, from the home office in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we invite you to sit back with an ice cold one and enjoy the pontifications of your hosts, Matt Shockey and Jeff Hudson. Man, oh man, does time fly from one podcast to the next. I can't believe we are in our fourth podcast right now. Uh, We're going to take a look at the Electoral College today and how that constitutionally works and the controversies around that. As always, across from me is the Honorable Dr. Jeffrey Hudson. And Hudson doesn't have many responsibilities here besides being smart and good looking, but his one big responsibility is to bring the beer for history, politics, and beer. And Jeff, what did you bring for us today? Well, I got something special for you. Mm. Another organic beer. And this is... Sweet Tarts Maine Blueberry Sour Ale from Peak Organic. We had this last week, the Peak Organic. We did, but we did not have... The sour blueberry. Sour blue. Okay, let's. Uh, this right, sounds, you have to, you have to right. give a little taste. Oh, it's you know, it's not as uh, carbonated as it seemed like right there. I didn't get a good pop on my, on my lift. All right, so here we go. Oh, let me say right away that as soon as you open it, you can smell the blueberry. Okay. Immediately, the blueberry is, is right there. It's not overpowering. Um, it's it's a nice thing. Well, let, let me get a. Get myself set here, and um, oh, by the way, um, like I think I said this last week, and if I didn't, I apologize. If you are a brewer and you would like to sponsor history, politics, and beer, and um, and supply the beer for us, we would love it. We would love to talk about your beer and the different kinds of beer you're brewing. Uh, this is, I think, Peak Brewery, organic brewing company. Now, obviously, Peak does not sponsor us, um, but. We're going to try their beer right here. And you, what are you having before I try mine? I'm just going to have their Pilsner, which you already had. Yes, I had that last week. All right, so here we go. There we go. Dun, 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 dun. That tastes exactly the way you think it would taste. I mean, really, it's, it's a sweet, tart, blueberry sour ale. It is balanced. Sometimes some of these fruity beers too def- much on the fruit. Oh god, they overwhelm you, yeah. and it's like one bite. Terrible and- aftertaste. Yes, too. Um, like cough syrup. Yeah, they have balanced that perfectly. All it's right, it's a little sweet, but it has the tart. Oh yeah, okay. You, you could definitely you know what? That's a good summer beer right there. All right, I'm gonna leave a, another can for you. Excellent, I appreciate that. All right, like I said at the top of the program, we are going to talk about the electoral college today. The discussion constitutionally is going to be a little bit shorter because really this is a straightforward shot. Uh, and the controversy doesn't really come. Well, there's controversy right away. Let me correct that. Uh, but the controversy and the big discussion really is fairly recent with the the problems with it. And are those problems correctable? So, oh, excuse me. There's, there's this little uh, sweet tart there for you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Jeff, do you want to hit the Constitution for this, talk a little bit about Article 2, uh, what the Constitution says, and then what we can do after that, we'll discuss why it was there. We can talk about what, what, how it's set up, and then we'll talk about why it was set up that way. Okay, Matt, I'll be glad to. Now, um, I've, I've read where this is the Electoral College is the single thing 
that the framers spent the most time on, that they, uh, you know, they're coming up with this new office, the presidency of the United States. And unlike the parliamentary system, uh, the president was going to have their own election and their own power base, their own connection to the people that elected them, rather than being, as the term prime minister suggests, just being uh, the number one minister from the ruling legislature. This is something different. They're going to have what they call a president. And they were worried, uh, as they were uh, throughout the Constitution, of giving the average person too much say. They thought that democracy could degenerate into mob rule, and they wanted provisions uh, to prevent that. One of those provisions was not to have the Senate, basically one half of the legislature, elected by the people. Those people, uh, the senators, would initially be elected by state representatives, people they thought might know more about government, people who might be more reliable. They created a uh, part of government that didn't have any elections at all. Uh, the judicial branch. Instead, they would be nominated by the president, who was to be uh, elected indirectly, and approved by senators, who were elected by the state representatives. So there's, you can see they have these checks on the people uh, in general. They don't totally trust them. And the unique feature, I mean, just to explain what the Electoral College is, is there's going to be electors who meet after the presidential election, and then they will cast their vote. Let me ask you a question here. Yeah. How do we, where do these electors come from? Well, the electors can be selected uh, any way the state legislature wants them. So to. it's up so to the state to decide. It's, it's not, up to the state okay. to decide. And um, the each now the number they get is decided constitutionally. It's the number of representatives you have in Congress. So the minimum number you can have, as Wyoming does, is three. You get two. Everybody gets two senators. And then because their population is small, they have one member of the House of Representatives, so they get three. Uh, California has the most because they have the most people. They get the two senators, but do they have 56 representatives? 55. 55, so you have? No, they have 53 reps, two. They have 55 in the Electoral College. Okay, 53. So that's the largest. And we'll talk about that, too, because initially everybody thinks the Electoral College favors the large states. It actually gives the smaller states a little more skin in the game. But the main purpose of the Electoral College was this. These electors would be selected by basically the state legislatures. And the idea was they would be what the name suggests, the Electoral College. They're going to be people selected for, they hope, their probity, their good judgment, their knowledge of governmental affairs. And they are not bound in the original Constitution by the popular vote. It's part of a check and balance system. If the people made a bad choice, the electors could override their choice. Okay. Yeah. So these electors that are being selected by the state, um, when you see how the Constitution puts this together, the electors are going to vote. Um, again, they are not bound by any popular vote. 
Matter of fact, even that some states today tried to bind the electors to state votes. Well, I think about half of them. Yeah, the, constitutionally, it's very questionable. It's never been taken, right? The Supreme right. Court hasn't decided on that. Uh, we have the laws, but we don't know uh, whether that would actually hold if someone were to break and you actually someone was actually charged with uh, not following what their state wanted. Um, <clears throat> but there's a couple things, there's a couple key parts of this that we have to examine. First, the founders did not envision permanent political parties. Um, they envisioned temporary groups of common interests coming together for a cause. And they call those factions. And there right. would be conglomerates of factions. And they, like you said, they would come and go. And they would dissolve. And the idea, the reason why they did not like political parties is because it seemed disloyal. If a particular person wins, and that is part of party A, and they win the election, well, to be a member of party B is almost disloyal. Why should you stand in opposition, organized opposition to what they what they, what they uh, stand for? The founders were wrong on this. Uh, political parties aren't a necessary evil. They are the foundation of our democracy. It, it, it gives people a chance to organize and put forth ideas. Without national organized political parties, it would be really difficult for any grassroots people really to try to put forth a major idea. The second part, and I'll let you get, I know you want to chime in on that one. Um, the second part is the idea of a majority, that there to win the electoral college, it's not a plurality. You have to win the majority of the electoral votes. You got to win more than half of the votes that are allocated. Right. So uh, what are there? Five, 538 right now. 538. And uh, those of you who are, uh, you know, students of government would know that there's 100 senators, 435 representatives, so that's why well, you go, wow, that's 535. But Congress decided that a city of a million and a half people, Washington, D.C., deserves some rep representation. So they were given three electoral votes of their own, even though they have no voting representatives in Congress. Right. So I know you wanted to make a statement, talk a little bit about political parties. Well, yeah, political parties, uh, they didn't anticipate their role in, in government. As, but they formed almost said. immediately in they, some way. That's the deal. They formed bef before the Constitution was ratified on the question of whether you should ratify the Constitution or not. You had the Federalists who wanted a stronger national government, uh, Hamilton uh, being their, their most famous spokesperson and spokesman. And then you had the anti Federalist. And that becomes a cleavage that lasts to this day. What does that party think is the proper role of the federal government? How much power do they have? How much power does the state have? And then from them, you get arguments between Hamilton and Jefferson, who are part of Washington's cabinet over the nature of government, and things just go through there. I'm not going to trace the whole history of political parties, but you're right. They start almost immediately, and their influence was not anticipated by the founders. Now, so when they wrote the Electoral College, this idea that this elect, elected group would get together and they would be above the fray, so to speak, and they would be able to make a wise choice. So they simply said the person who gets the majority of the votes will be president, and this person who comes in second will be vice president. Um, seems simple enough. Seems simple enough, and if that were the case today— 
um, Trump would be your president and Hillary Clinton would be your vice president. Absolutely. And you see now how foolish that is before. Um, but it works. And it works right away because of Washington. Right. And uh, Washington is so popular. Uh, he wins the first election. Um, in seven in 1789, he wins the second second election in 1792, and he steps down. And now, in the third election, things we're seeing cracks in it. Uh, Adams wins the presidency, but Jefferson wins the vice presidency. And, and Adams is a Federalist, and Jefferson, although I don't know if he ever calls himself an anti-Federalist, he certainly is a states' rights exponent. He's very worried about the expanding power of the federal government. Right. And though Jefferson and Adams were good friends before, um, during the revolution. Well, Adams was the chairman of the committee that picked Jefferson to write the Declaration of Independence. Right. And when when asked about it, he said, "I one of the reasons he picked Jefferson because he was 10 times better writer than he was. So they were buddies. So Adams and Jefferson, during, like you, you just said, uh, Adams- nominates Jefferson basically to write the Declaration of Independence because they were good friends and how smart he was and um, what a good writer he was. That friendship is strained almost to the point of breaking during Adams' administration. Um, Jefferson is protecting his political friends and allies, and that means not supporting Adams, uh, who is a political, hate to say enemy, but political enemy. Now, that relationship is mended later on. They, late in life. Late in life, yes. Uh, interestingly enough, they both die on July 4th, uh, uh, the 50th anniversary, I think, of 1776. Of, of the, uh, the adoption of the Declaration. And I think, Jeff, um, I think Jefferson dies first, and... When Jefferson was dying, I think he said, well, at least Adams lives. It could have been the opposite of that. He had, and he didn't know that the other one had died earlier that morning. So they did reconcile. But the problem was you had two people with different political viewpoints. The wheels come off, though, in the fourth, our third president, fourth election, and that's Jefferson. Um, Jefferson was running with Aaron Burr and... Burr one was going to be vice president. Jefferson was going to be president. Members of the same political party. Exactly. But to get it that way, you had to jerry-rig it. Somebody had to throw a vote because you want one person to have one more vote than the next person. So That Jeff guy will be the president. Right. Well, they didn't do that. And Burr and Jefferson end up being tied. Um, there's a lot, to, a lot of things going back and forth that we don't want to get into. But basically, this is a huge problem. We can't go through this every four years. Yeah. False to the House representatives, um, and we go through a constitutional crisis really early in in eighteen hundred. And 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 Jefferson, which most people knew that he was the one, the majority of the electors wanted to be president, but that's not what had happened. So as the Constitution provides, when the elector electoral college can't decide. It goes to the House of Representatives, and they vote as state delegations, and Jefferson becomes our president. Right. Um, with probably, I think, a little help from Hamilton, uh, Hamilton being a high Federalist, did not like Jefferson very much at all, but he hated Aaron Burr. Um, and finally, you know, certainly picking your evils, uh, he gets some people to switch some votes, and Jefferson becomes president. But what brings about change then, that brings about change, we get the 12th Amendment, which basically now electors are casting a vote for a president 
and a vice right. president. They must specify. So you can never have a tie like that again. Right. Uh, and now we have the idea of running on a ticket and political parties are baked in now to the Constitution. Their ingredient added a little later on. Actually, it was an ingredient that was there all along. They just really didn't recognize it as such. Um which I think at this point we need to talk about why we have a two-party system in America when other nations have viable and workable multiple-party systems. Uh, we don't. And people always want a, a third party. And the way the Constitution is written, really you'll never have a, a strong third party. You may have a party that replaces one of the primary parties. And the last time we had that happen um, was in the election of 1856, um, you had the you had the Repul- the Democrat who was James Buchanan and the Republican I believe was named Weaver, and the Republican Party had replaced the Whig Party. The Whig Party had dissolved, and then by 1860, the Republican Party is so strong it actually wins an election. So it used to be the Democrats and the Whigs. It becomes the Democrat and the Republicans, and it's been that way ever since. But the reason why we have a two party system is because there is you have to have a majority, right? I mean, this is the... Well, you have to have a majority in the Electoral College uh, out of the uh, 538 votes. You have to get more than half of them in order to be president. And we have single-member congressional districts. So in a single-member congressional districts, the winner doesn't have to have... A majority, but they have to have a plurality. In other words, they have to get more votes than anybody else got in that district. So you can have three people run. Well, who's going to get more votes? And in these states, uh, you have to a lot of times go out and get signatures to be on the ballot if you want to be. You have to fundraise like crazy. Who's in a position to do that? Well, the two major parties don't have to get signatures to be on the ballot. They already have lots of money. I think the, the the Republicans threw a total of $11 million uh, into the election in PA uh, 18 that was just resolved Tuesday. <clears throat> so who's going to win those? Who's going to get a plurality, get the most votes? It's still going to be a major party member. Chances are. So if your president's going to get elected by a majority of the electoral college, you'll be a member of the major party in the single me- member districts. Remember, you can have somebody get 49% of the vote in a congressional district. And how much representation do they get if the other person gets 51%? Zero. They get nothing. So these two things lead to the fact that we have it. They're the main two structural reasons we have a two-party system. Right. I mean, the Electoral College, you need 270 votes to win. That's the majority out of 538. If you start dividing that by three ways, no one gets a majority, and the House of Representatives is always picking your president. So as you the say- The House of Representatives is going to be controlled by one of the two major parties. Right. And so as you point out, it's structural. It's not stated that we'll have two political parties, but when you look at the Constitution, how it's worked out, really it might as well be stated because that is how it's going to work. Now, for most of our history, the Electoral College, let me say this, the Electoral College works. We always have a president. The Electoral College has never ceased to work. And this might be one of the biggest arguments to keep it as it is because it has successfully been electing a president for our whole lives of our of a country. It's never and we've not, had a peaceful transition of power. Right. So before you get rid of something, 
and I know a lot a lot of people want to get rid of it because um, there's problems. We're going to talk about the problems of it. It is successfully picking our president. The Achilles heel of it, and there's there's a couple big ones, and I, I will go over one, and we can kind of go back and forth here. Um, it's probably the most obvious one is what just happened recently, and that is that you can win the popular vote but lose the Electoral College. And that's what happened to Hillary Clinton. She won the popular vote by three and a half million votes, but lost the election. And that seems to be ridiculous. It's like scoring less points in a football game, but winning the game. It defies logic. Now, it also happened relatively recently with George W. Bush when he ran against Al Gore in 2000. Though... A little bit different because it was razor close with Gore and Bush. And Bush could always make the argument, well, if I wanted to win the popular vote, I probably could have. But I was concentrating so much on winning certain states that that wasn't a concern of mine. I don't know if that holds true for Donald Trump. I don't know if, even if he tried to win the popular vote, if he could have come up with that three and a half million that he would have need. But still, it in, in a way, it makes your presidency less legitimate. Well, that's that's the purpose of uh, elections. A lot of people don't understand uh, that elections. Obviously, you get a candidate who now becomes the officer in the government. So that's the main purpose. But in our system, where according to the Declaration of Independence, legitimacy comes from consent of the governed, and that means an election. So the election has to be oddly enough not only good for the winners but good for the losers too. Because if you do want to have the peaceful transition of power, you have to have the losers go. Yeah, it was that's that's the right process. And you have Al Gore, who was the vice president and therefore president of the Senate. He provide presides over the actual casting of the electoral of the electors' votes, which will uh, not elect him, but elect George W. He presides over that, and he accepts after. He tries to get a recount in Florida, and the Supreme Court blocks the total recount. Um, that then uh, he accepts their decision and accepts the results of the election. So what Al Gore did is say, "Well, it was a legit, legitimate process. George W. Bush is your president, and that's very, very important, especially when things are that close, where the president doesn't uh, get uh, the majority of the popular vote." As George W. Bush didn't. Yeah, and I, I don't mean to say, it sounded like I was trying to say that Trump isn't a legitimate president, and that's not what I'm saying. Right. Um, what I'm saying is it takes away from his power and influence as president because he didn't win the popular vote. And in a way, that doesn't delegitimize him, but it takes away maybe from power of the bully pulpit uh, or his ability to press Congress to do something, right? So I, the president wants Congress to do something, and Rep Democrats in Congress might say, like, you know, I don't have to listen to you. You didn't win the popular vote. You well, know? they're going to be less scared because right. historically the presidents who have won the Electoral College and the popular vote by a large margin, think FDR, uh, you know, think Ronald Reagan, and they've been able to get stuff done. People are afraid of them politically. Right. So, so yeah. So, and I think we also see that with what happened here in Pennsylvania. I know a lot of our listeners aren't from Pennsylvania, but we had a special uh, election here in Pennsylvania for an open seat in the House of Representatives out in the Pittsburgh region. And in this district, Trump had won this district by 20 points. 
20 points. Just uh, almost 20. It's 19 points. Right. And a lot of money was poured into this district. Trump had gone out there multiple times to campaign for the Republican candidate, and the Democrat won it. Um, this is what we mean by being afraid. If Trump had won an overwhelming popular victory in Pennsylvania, in Pennsylvania, nationally. he could have come. He'd have come in and spoke. If FDR would have shown up, if Reagan would have shown up for the Republican, it would have been a slam dunk. You would have coattailed that guy in on your popularity alone. In this case, it might actually worked against the Republicans to bring in an unpopular president uh, into Pennsylvania. So it, it it does the Electoral College does have that effect. All right, so. It's not a perfect system. Uh, sometimes the electoral vote doesn't match the popular vote. Most times it does. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, let's get down to brass tacks here and start talking about some of the problems with it. Um, I'm, I will share one of my concerns with it, and then we can kind of bat it around a little bit. My concern with it is it's arbitrary. The states that actually pick the president of the United States are arbitrary. Um, most states fall squarely into the Republican category or into the Democratic category. Great examples of this are California going Republican, I mean Democratic, and Texas going Republican. So what happens is five states or so, um, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida. Iowa, Florida, some North Carolina, parts of maybe Virginia, that's uh, more than five, um, just because these states are purple – are split relatively down the middle, these states get to pick our president. What a person in New York thinks doesn't matter because Democrats are going to win New York. My problem with this system is arbitrarily we pick a couple states and those states pick the president of the United States in essence. Well, yeah, and that can be seen as a problem. And also the the campaigns know this and that's where they're going to spend the most money and the candidates are going to spend the most time. So you could argue that... Um, these states, uh, whatever, you know, South Dakota, New York, you know how they're going to vote politically years before the election takes place. They never get a chance to inter even interact and see the candidates or hear them talk about their local issues. And indeed, the pres potential president, the candidate, doesn't really have to know about their local issues. I don't know if that was the intention uh, of the framers, but that's certainly what happened. You also have some shenanigans that go on when some when someone there's just this thing, you know, a lot of people would define democracy as majority rule. Well, we have a constitutional democracy. So we have the electoral college and it's not exactly majority rule. But when as you said, when someone doesn't wins the electoral college and doesn't win the majority, a lot of times there's some question as to their legitimacy, and there can be some shenanigans that go on in order to get the Electoral College uh, on your side. I mean, that happened in 1876, I think. Uh, um, Tilden, I believe, won the popular vote. Rutherford B. Hayes was the Republican. Uh, there was some questions about what, what was, oddly enough, how Florida's electors, what really happened in Florida— and essentially, uh, he made a deal with the the electors from the South, especially from Florida, that if he became president, he would help to end Reconstruction. So he betrayed a radical Republican principle, which is Reconstruction. He was a Republican himself in order to get into power. 
And you certainly don't want that to happen. That's just, that's actually the biggest single political scandal that I know about that came about because of the Electoral College, that that the Republicans were willing to compromise their founding anti-slavery principles in order to keep somebody in power. Yeah, the Electoral College today, as we see it, is nothing even remotely what the founders envisioned. The founders, and we're going to take a step back here. The founders put the Electoral College in place fundamentally because they didn't trust the average person to vote. Um, and also, this is another side part of this, is giving the South, who had a large slave population, sort of a boost, if you will, in electing the president uh, and helping elect a president. Sort of a mythology going on that the Electoral College fundamentally was there to protect small states. That's not true. That's why the Senate was there, was to protect small states. During the time of the Constitution, the argument wasn't I mean, there was a disagreement between large states and big states, but that wasn't the primary discussion. The primary argument or this difference would have been slave and free states and probably coastal areas and interior areas. Um, So the Constitution, as was written, the Articles of Confederation, basically didn't trust the average person to vote. The Electoral College today is basically just a ceremony. Uh, you, You vote in a state. If you win that vote by, if you win the election by one vote or a million votes, you get all of those electoral votes. It's a winner-take-all system with a little asterisk there besides Nebraska and Maine, whose sides have split electoral votes. So there isn't an incentive to campaign in California because you can't win in California if you're a Republican. But there's lots of Republicans in California who would love to be represented, who would love those people to come out and talk to them, but they're completely ignored. And then a couple thousand people in Pennsylvania and Wisconsin end up deciding an election. All right. Do you have any final words on that? I kind of jumped a little, not jumped, but I kind of piggybacked on you a little bit there. Uh, I was going to move on to another weakness unless you uh, had something to add there. No. uh, The the purpose of the election, remember when it was created too. And before we even go into more, the, the Electoral College was created in a world where a lot of people got around by walking in three miles an hour. That's how you walk. If you had a horse, maybe you could go four and a half, five miles an hour. You were never going in most places to see the candidates uh, campaign for the presidency. Uh, Lincoln and Douglas had debates much later, but by that time you had the advent, among other things, of, of trains. Right. But when the Constitution was written, there's no train network in the United States either. So you're never going to see these candidates. Chances, on, unless you live in a city, you're never going to read about them. In fact, you might not even know how to read because in a lot of places there's no public school system. Education, uh, especially in the South— but all over the large parts of the United States was for the wealthier people. So the framers, it made every sense to them that that person should have a vote, but they shouldn't have the ultimate say in electing the president. That was going to be left to a a group that was a little more educated, a group that could read or write. Maybe some of these men would know the candidates. And that made perfect sense. Of course, that's changed dramatically 
And you mentioned that the electors now will basically vote whichever way the party. That's for two reasons. In about half the states, that's mandated by law. And we don't know whether that's constitutional, that the electors will vote the way the popular vote goes. And in the other states, the electors are almost always party activists. They have been in the party for many, many years. They're picked by their state legislature and people in their party because they won't change their vote. Uh, and, and so the original purpose of the Electoral College is now gone. Yeah, you're right. It, it is obsolete. But also the framers and Madison, didn't they also envision this mixing between sort of the federal level and the state level, sort of this idea of federalism to give us a, a say in who's going to be president? Yeah, and, and you got to remember that there was this opposition when uh, the Constitution was ratified. And the anti-federalists were loyal to their state. They wanted the states to have more power, not less. And under a federal government, they were going to have less power. Now, the Constitution creates an, a, a thing for the first time. It creates an American people. The first three words, which I hope everybody out there knows, if you don't, you will now, are we the people. Okay? And the next part is of the United States of America. They're creating a, a new country. So I think to accept the power of the presidency, they thought it would be best if, yes, the people of America would elect the president, but also each state would have a say through the electors. And remember, the electors are picked in a manner that the state wants them to be picked. So it was a combo. And in that sense, that purpose of the Electoral College is still fulfilled, uh, although I think they were seeing it more necessary at the time. We already have created an American nation and American people. They were creating it. Right. So let's get into some of the numbers here because this is where um, the so one of the big problems with the Electoral College exposes itself. Um, if the Electoral College did not exist and you were to propose it today, it would probably be unconstitutional it probably wouldn't pass constitutional muster with the 14th Amendment, equal protection of the law. You know, the, the population of California currently, they estimate right about 40 million. They get 55 electoral votes. Now, this is our most populous state. That means for every electoral vote uh, is, represented by, is representing about 700,000 people, a shade over that. So one vote, 700,000. Now, you think that should hold pretty equal throughout the country if everyone's going to be equally represented. But one man, one vote. Idea, one man, one vote. Absolutely. If we look at our smallest state population-wise, you're looking at Wyoming, uh, they have under 600,000 people. They get three electoral votes. That means for every electoral vote, each electoral vote is representing 193,000 people. That means, in mathematically, if I, if I did this right, they have 300% per electoral vote more power than California does. The, the, a voter in, in Wyoming. Right, does. right. right. I, I've said that poorly, but that yeah. is, that's not equal protection. Now, obviously, something in the Constitution can't be unconstitutional simply by definition, but it does not represent individuals equally. It, if you are in a big state, if you are in a city— you are drastically underrepresented in the Electoral College. 
Now, I know I've heard the argument is, well, if we got rid of the Electoral College, then all the people would do, all cancer would do, is campaign in cities. Maybe, but it's better than what we're doing now. Right now, they campaign in seven arbitrary states. They have no reason to be campaigned in simply because they have the oddity of being a 50-50 split or what we call purple. So yeah, why this is the frustration, uh, frustrating part for me. If you move to Los Angeles, why am I less than a citizen than a rancher in Wyoming? I should not, my, I should not be penalized where I live in this country politically. And you are. If you are in a populous state, you are penalized. Somebody in a small state has more power than you do. Well, and you're penalized twice because that already happens in the Senate. Oh yes. Yeah. So the 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 you know every state, no matter what size, like you know Wyoming, like you said, under six hundred thousand, they have two senators. Would you say the population of California was about uh, forty million? Forty million. They have two senators. Right. So that's already made allowances for in the Senate, but now we do it in electing the president as well. And as as you mentioned, there's there's different reasons that the framers went for that system. But it, it is something I think most people would view as not democratic. My vote doesn't count as much as you. I could live 200 yards from you. Yeah. And, you know, I could live in Nevada and be next to California. And my right. vote would count a lot more than your vote. So there's just something that most people would consider not right about that. Unfair somehow. And, and the top that I'll give you some other evidence why this is unfair. Maybe, maybe you know something I don't know here. The, this system is used nowhere else in the country. Every, we, governors are all elected by popular vote. If this is such a great system, it certainly could be modified very easily for a state and done countywide. And the counties that have less popular, you could give electoral votes or the counties, but no state does that. Well, we actually changed. I think the 17th Amendment, we changed how senators were elected. Exactly. They were going to be elected by state representatives. They're the ones who might know government. Uh, the Senate has advice and consent. I mean, they have to approve treaties and who's on the Supreme Court. They got a little more power. So we're going to keep that out of the hands of the people. And then the 17th Amendment eliminates that. And now we have direct popular vote by senators. So we've already made that adjustment for uh, the one house of of Congress. Uh, it's it, you know it's it's going to be hard though because one way you would you could change the electoral college or get rid of it is through constitutional amendment, and a constitutional amendment is going to need a lot of votes from the smaller states to pass. So that's not going to happen. No. The, you're not going to propose a constitutional amendment to eliminate the Electoral College and have the majority of the states vote for it. It's, it's our, what's the first, what is it, three-fifths? Two-thirds and three-fourths. Two, yeah, three-fourths. So you're not going to have three-fourths of the states vote for uh, a, a, an amendment to get rid of the Electoral College. Now, the best you would probably best you could do is modify the Electoral College uh, for states and how they award their electoral votes. If you did proportionality in states, right? And then we come for that. We come to the congressional district way, which I right. believe is is that what Maine and Nebraska use? I think. Well, it they is. split. I think 
they do partially popular vote, and I think part of part of it's based on popular vote, and part of it's based on congressional districts. Well, I think what they do is that the the two votes they believe represent the senators are settled by statewide vote. What you know, whatever Maine goes is going to get those two, however Nebraska goes, and then the other uh, votes are decided on a district by district level. So you don't need a constitutional amendment to do that. Now, you would need it maybe to force states, but states can do that on their own. But what's the main problem with that? If we, I like that system for, for in some ways. In Pennsylvania, where I live, you know, uh, Allegheny County in the Pittsburgh area, and Philadelphia, Montgomery County, probably Berks and Bucks County, and they're always in, in going to vote Democratic. And for the most part, now not in the last election, but for the most part, they carry the state. And Pennsylvania gives all their electoral votes to the Democrat. If I am in Lancaster, which I am now, or someplace else, I could see how I would feel like, well, that didn't represent me. And in a way, congressional district voting uh, would allow, voting by, awarding electoral votes by congressional district would, would give people the sense that they had more say about who their president was. They would feel more represented. But there is a problem about that. Gerrymandering. Right. It basically would be cheating because the congressional districts are drawn up in most states, not every state, by their state legislature. And what they do is put as many vote, get as many districts as possible with as many voters of their party so their uh, uh, members of Congress of their party will get elected over and over and over again. That's why you have 90-some percent uh, of incumbents getting reelected. So it would be cheating. If you did that now, if you did the congressional district, it, it, it's cheating unless you'd have some kind of indep- independent commission draw up the congressional districts. Sort right. of nonpartisan commission. And that's trying to organize cats. You know, you have 50 states you have to organize to put that together. Um, we, we bash the Electoral College quite a bit here, um, but there are some arguments for it. Uh, the one I stated, I think, at the top of the show, and that is the idea that it's been successfully electing our president since the beginning of our republic. Um, if It may not be perfect, but it works. Leave it alone. A very conservative viewpoint politically. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, um, you might do this un- the idea of unintended consequences. You may try to make it better, but in reality, you could make it worse. And the, along with that is the idea of as soon as you get away from the Electoral College, and let's say we go to a popular vote. Well, here's the problem with a popular vote. The problem with a popular vote is you have to get rid of the word majority because it's going to be, it's hard. It's very difficult to win a majority vote. Um, Trump didn't do it. Obama did it twice, right? Obama did it twice. And um, Bush, the first first election he did not, but the second he did win the popular vote and the electoral college. And Clinton both times did not win the popular vote because Perot was involved in one of those, so he was right. that was pretty low. Right. Um, so basically, what we're saying is, a lot of times you don't have a popular vote winner uh, majority. So you have to take the word majority out. And then you have to work with plurality. 
And now you open yourself up to the idea that you might have six people running for president. You start splitting the popular vote six ways. Now somebody gets 32% of the vote who 70% of the people vote against are now is now the president because you just split the vote a hundred different ways. And that's a problem. That's, yeah. The, the electoral college tends to magnify the victory of, of the winner. Because in all but two states, it's a winner-take-all system. So I might get, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, Hillary Clinton, was she within 1% of the popular uh, vote winner in Wisconsin? And 1% or 2% here in PA, it was very, very yes. close. But all the electoral votes got awarded to Trump. In other words, it increased the magnitude of his victory. In fact, well, he lost the popular, but increased the magnitude of the Electoral College victory, it made there a clear winner in this case. And that's helpful. That's That can be a helpful thing. And that's probably one of the reasons we've had peaceful transition of power. People can say, well, there at least there's a clear winner this way. Um, so, yes, there, there's, certainly, uh, there's certainly some pluses. Now, have, there was one thing that was proposed at one time that had a lot of sense, but it seems kind of crazy. It's the national bonus system. Have you ever heard of that? I don't know the national bonus system. The idea was is you would keep the Electoral College intact. In fact, there's some uh, a sense that some question whether you even need to amend the Constitution for this. But the winner of the um, popular vote would get a bonus. They would get 50 electoral votes or 100. Oh, okay. So what it's, like a, you, it's like a 51st state. Well, the idea would be you, it would eliminate the possibility of someone losing the popular vote and becoming president. Right. Whoever was the winner of the popular vote would win the election because you would add whatever specified number. Right. Now- that's, have, inter- that's interesting. Yeah, I have questions about it. I mean, first of all, do I want to elect my country's leader by something called the national bonus system? I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like a lottery. But uh, I don't know. That That's one other thing that has been proposed. I, I mean, to me, I would I would like to see the congressional district system because it gets to it pretty much get rid of the idea of red states and blue states because I guarantee you the area around Austin, Texas – maybe even parts of Houston, certainly, and maybe even around Dallas, their congressional districts are going to, they're going to go for the Democrat. And in, in states like Pennsylvania, or maybe even more liberal states, like you're talking about California, yeah, maybe San Francisco, Los Angeles, or whatever, you see a lot of electoral votes coming toward, and certainly the, the two that represent would be for the Democrats, but places in the San Fernando Valley and other places would be rep- would feel they're represented. That sounds good, but again, you have to make sure those districts are drawn fairly, and we don't have that. Right. We don't have that. And all this discussion is really almost a moot point because it's not changing. As you pointed out, you'd have to amend the Constitution. And to do that, you would really need both Republicans and Democrats to feel the sting of the flaws of the Electoral College equally. 
and that's not happening. Right now, it's the Democrats who feel the sting, and it's the Republicans who are benefiting from the system. And the Republicans certainly are not going to throw out a system that's benefiting them. Um, the Electoral College benefits the small populated red states, and they control enough states, obviously, to prevent a three-fourths vote from the, from changing the Constitution. So it's not going anywhere. Um, as this bonus system sounds interesting, again, I, I don't see a party willingly giving up power and trying to make the system equal. Uh, both parties would have to feel the sting, and they just don't. Yeah, not, not right now, of course. I mean, things can change, and you can have a Democrat elected sometimes right. who would lose the popular vote, and who knows what will happen in 10 and 20 years. Uh, positions of the parties change over time, as as we well know. But yeah, I don't. the Electoral College isn't going anywhere, and uh, people have to compete on the playing field. That is, um, it's just going to be too hard to change it, no matter what people think about it. To end this podcast, we're both going to answer a question. The question is going to be this. Jeff Hudson, you are able to amend the Constitution. You have this choice. Keep the Electoral College as it is with no changes or go to a straight popular vote where the plurality will take the presidency. That's that's a very – oh, the plurality rather yeah. than the majority. And that's a tough, tough question. That's a tough question. I am enough believer in tradition uh, to go with the devil I know rather than the devil I don't know. And as you said, the Electoral College has had flaws, but we've had a peaceful transition of power for over 200 years. I'm going to take the devil I know and say – I am not would not be for a uh, a system that would elect the president by plurality. Although I do like the idea that you would have the potential. If you think about the last election, the majority of people I talked to didn't like either candidate. That was the majority opinion of the people right. I talked to. And, you know, if you did have that plurality system, you have the chance of voting for somebody you might like. You really want to see president. That's a tough one. It is. I I, I have argued this and discussed this ad nauseum with people, and I have hammered and hammered how much I hate the Electoral College. And it pains me to say that if I had to make a choice between the plurality of a majority vote or the Electoral College— Oh, it hurts. I would stay with the Electoral College. It The plurality idea scares me that you can have a president, somebody elected president with a, such a tiny part of the vote because the rest of the vote is split. Um, to me, that is, I don't want to go backwards. That's worse than what we have right now. Right. So I'm holding my nose and doing the same thing you are and dancing with the devil I know. All right. Well, next week, I think we're going to cover the strangest fact about American government. And this is where you guys come in, um, because our the, our governmental system is Lego together over two centuries. 
and some of it makes sense and some of it doesn't make sense. And we are asking for ideas from you. What do you think makes sense? And what do you, what basically what do you think doesn't make sense? What in our system is crazy, unexplainable, I don't like? Let us know what you think, and we are going to try to address those items in our next podcast. Thank you. All right. Talk to you later.